just before we get started, I usually have my phone on do not disturb, but it's disturbing you. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, that's okay. Let me put me on the do not disturb until 10 o'clock tonight. Okay, great. I'm really glad someone actually texted me because I caught that. Okay, perfect. Oh my God. Do you know the brand Juicy Couture from back in the day? I never wanted a juicy anything except they had this one necklace that was like a do not disturb sign. And I yes. thought it was so funny. And yes, it's like permanent, please, like 2020. Do not disturb. We need, we need that. We all need that for 2020. <laughs> good times come and good times go. And when they do, hold out to these bones and feathers, herbs and stones. Words and weather, hearth and home. Hippie witch, hippie witch, magic with a switch of your mind. So kind and believing. Hippie witch, season three, my favorite number. Hi, thanks for joining me for episode 483 of Hippie Witch, Magic for a New Age. My name is Joanna DeVoe and I am the groovy creatrix behind Kick-Ass Witch, putting the K in magic, and Hippie Witch, the show you are listening to right now. I also have a free ebook by that name, Hippie Witch, Peace, Love, and all that good shit, and you can pick up a copy of that at www.joannadevoe.com where you will also find the show notes for this episode, including several links to the extraordinarily, fantastically magical Sarah Faith Gottesdiener. I hope I said that correctly. Gottesdiener. Gottesdiener. Sarah. Sarah, author of The Moon Book, Lunar Magic to Change Your Life, and a really kick-ass looking planner, the creator of all kinds of awesome magical things is on the show today. I feel like I could have her on the show every day because Sarah can talk and I can talk and we like to talk about the same things. So I don't know if her experience of this interview was the same as my experience of it, but I had so much fun. I was shocked when the interview was over. I was like, what? What just happened? No. (laughs) So hopefully you all have fun listening to it as well. And before I get too carried away and forget, I must take a second to thank all of the lovely people supporting the show over on Patreon and welcome new patrons, Ka, just Ka, and Lisa Lance. Thank you so much for supporting the show. I hope you're loving it over there and that you're enjoying the content Do figure out how to hook up your Patreon account with your Discord account because Discord is awesome. I guess that's a good tip for anybody who is a patron of anybody who has a Patreon account that is linked to Discord because it's kind of like having a private section on social media. It reminds me a lot of Twitter, which is why I like it. I have Twitter brain. That's how my mind works. Except on Discord, it's private. Like I said, you can have a private server. 
And it's, it's a, let's say this, it's semi-private because is anything really private on the internet? I think not. I think not. And I'm really trying not to ramble too much at the beginning of this conversation here because I don't want to lose you before the conversation starts. There's a lot more that I could say about this conversation particularly the parts about the law of attraction. I have my own unique take on it, and Sarah has her take on it, and her take is super interesting, informative, expansive, different than mine, which is why, partly why it was really fun to talk to her about this stuff. We talk about the moon. We talk about magic. And then I opened kind of a loop that did not get closed about this idea of humanifestation. It's, it's a word. It's a term that she coined. And we didn't get time to explore that. So here's what I'm going to do. <laughs> I'm going to try to bribe you to stick around to the end of the interview. And then I will read this little paragraph out of her book. Is it a paragraph? Yeah, it's a paragraph out of her book. The Moon Book, Lunar Magic to Change Your Life. I will read that after the interview. And then maybe I will record a separate podcast to go off on my thoughts around the law of attraction. So without any further ado, here is the lovely, let's try to say her name correctly this time, Sarah Faith Gottesdiener. I did it. That's how you said it. Gottesdiener. Hello, Sarah. Welcome to Hippie Witch. Hi, Joanna. I'm so excited to be here with you today. You are a Los Angeles witch and I've never met you. Is that true? It is true. I've been here for about eight years. I can't believe it, but yeah. Oh, it's probably because I'm mostly a housebound witch these days. I My partying and going out days are behind me. And part of that is missing out too on the amazing witchy community that we have here. Have you found, have you found your witchy tribe of people here in Los Angeles? Yes and no. I have a lot of really, really close witch friends in other places that I've lived. I was going to ask you, are you on the West side? Where no, are you? I'm, on the, I'm in Glendale. Oh, you're in Glendale. So you're right near me. Yeah. I find that there's this huge divide in LA from the West side to the East side. So it can get a little bit harder to connect with people if they're closer to the ocean. You know, I've been an East sider the whole time I've lived in LA, I have not strayed from the East side. And sometimes that's how I don't know people. Like there's a bunch of awesome people like in Mar Vista or whatever. And I'm like, I don't, I'll, I will never meet you. <laughs> like, you know? Yeah. It only took me like 20 years to figure out that I can't get anywhere in LA in 20 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> it's like an hour and a half trek to go over to the beach or something like that because of the traffic mainly. But I also got yelled at once on Instagram for saying that I live on the East side. To me, anything like East of East Hollywood is counts. Yeah, me too. That's interesting. I wonder what their demarcation line was. But you know, like LA has a lot of great people there is a very interesting, specific strain of Los Angeles witch and Los Angeles spirituality that is 
like it's this interesting influence from Hollywood. And I think about Marjorie Cameron. I think about this, you know, sort of desert uh, influence as well. I think about the fact that Los Angeles, for whatever reason, really called to for lack of a better word, like colonizers that came here. Like it was this desert that, you know, Shumash people and Tongva people and Gabrielino people were living in. For whatever reason, all of these people descended in this area. And I feel like that influences, I feel like the land influences us. And I feel like Hollywood and art and beauty and a bunch of other things that I'm sure you have your own thoughts about influences the kind of magic that is made here and the kind of people that are drawn here as well. Mm -hmm. It's a very complicated, interesting place. It's definitely what you make it, but you, there is magic to tap into here. Why did you come to LA? I can't believe I'm sharing this publicly, but I <laughs> I started getting um, messages from my intuition to come here and I didn't know why. I didn't particularly love LA. Like I had visited a few times. I had two or three friends here, but I didn't really know anyone. I didn't have a job here or anything like that. And the time just felt right. And I brought my partner we both like left our jobs and our home and our friends. And in his case, his family was in Portland where we were living for a really long time. And we moved here. We didn't know anyone. I went to school here. That was sort of how I could justify moving here as like an adult. I got my master's here and then we just stayed and we've been here for eight years. And now I know, you know how, I mean, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but you're, you'll, you know, you'll be getting messages from your intuition and you don't really know why. You're not really sure why you're feeling called to do something or to go somewhere or to pick up the phone or pick up that book or whatever, sign up for the class or whatever it is. And then you do it. And in my case, I have had a few very intense situations in my life where it literally took years for me to figure out why I was called to go somewhere. So for me, LA has been a lot about reconnecting with my own intuition. It's been a lot about trusting in spirit. It's been a lot about healing a lot of stuff around work and worth and money that for whatever reason, previously, I either wasn't ready to do or the space or the place, or I'm not really sure what, that was, that's sort of what called me here. Me personally, although there are so many other reasons why I stay here. So, Mm -hmm. so yeah, that's my little LA story. You're calling to mind for me the now iconic staircase that leads up to the original House of Intuition. You've probably been there if you live on the east side. It says your intuition led you here. Yeah. <laughs> I'll never forget the first time I saw that. It just made me laugh. I thought that was so clever and funny and true for those of us who are witchy. And I do think LA is a really interesting place to work through money and worth issues because... 
there's a really pronounced grotesque spectrum of that here way on one end the kind of poverty that you're going to mingle with just going about your everyday life and then people that have such excess that it's grotesque is the word that it reminds me of not necessarily that they've accumulated what they've accumulated but the value that they place on it and the way they display it can be (laughs) gaudy, let's say, a bit much. And there's everything in between. And it's just a really interesting place to explore that. I mean, LA is a land of extremes. And LA is, like you said, this this place where whatever you want, you can find, basically. You know? I mean, a lot of big cities are, but LA really has that quality. And, you know, for me personally, in my particular situation the cost of living here, I don't know that I've lived in a place that was more expensive to live. And it really forced me to get serious about what I was doing with my time and my energy. And that all just started weaving together into work stuff, career stuff, self-worth stuff, all of the things. You know, I I had to work harder than I ever had before. And also I had to work smarter because LA is so spread out. There are so many people who I'm going to sound a little whatever, but you know, people want to take advantage of you. People want to underpay you. That is everywhere, by the way, that's, it's called the United States of America, right? It's called (laughs) capitalism. But you know, I just, I had to sort of find my own worth, work, boundaries, vision, alignment, all of that stuff. And I do credit it with being here because I had never been forced so intensely to look at these themes in my life with such clarity, discernment, and to make really serious decisions around my time, my worth, my work, my energy, all of the things. Mm. From what I can see, you're doing a fabulous job. You are an amazing biz witch. I love a good biz witch, but you really, everything looks gorgeous, which is enticing. It kind of calls you in. And then there's a real depth to the work that you do. And you seem to be here, there, and everywhere. You have two books coming out right now. You definitely have to talk about that, by the way, because I have one of them right here, the Moon Book, and it's just so pretty. Thank you. I am of the opinion that the witchy publishing industry that there's some sort of conspiracy forming to get me to stop writing in my books. I love to write in my books and like have a conversation with them. And, and these books are too pretty. Like this is such a beautiful book. I'm like, I can't write in this. (laughs) I I love that though. Cause you're a writer, right? Yeah. But also I have just always loved writing in books. There's just something about a book to me that is a collaborative process between the writer and the reader anyway. And I just fully engage in that. I completely agree with you. My my problem that I have with the books is I'll like dog ear them, you know, so I won't even really know there'll be a book with all of these 
folded over corners of pages. And I'm like, why did I even do that? Like, uh, or I'll like, I'm like the person who has the shred of paper as bookmark and there'll be like 20 of them. And I'm like, but why, why did I put that on page 21? So it's, I I love that you write (laughs) in the books because you are like, oh, I have this idea or this is what I think, or I love this. And also, or look into this more or whatever. I love that. Yeah. It really helps. I find too to stay grounded in critical thinking as well. Like a lot of times I'll put little question marks here and there. Like, is this true? Yes. You know, on that tip, I'll just sort of take this as an aside. One pandemic activity that my sweetheart and I have started doing much more than we ever have is read to one another. And it's really funny because I find myself, I'll read something out loud and we're reading a lot of our interests align in the realms of like biology and history and kind of like social justice things, like definitely nonfiction work is what, you know, philosophy, these are like where his interests and my interests align. So this is, these are the kinds of books we're reading together. So you really do have to be involved. You have to be conscious, you know, you're learning new things. Your, your brain is getting turned around. I love it. But yeah, I'll find myself reading out loud a paragraph or a sentence, and then I'll have to stop and like talk to him about it and ask him questions or be like, wait, is that true? And he gets so annoyed because he's like, I just want to relax to you reading me like, you know, but I'm like, no, like I really like, really like, I really want to talk about this. It's really funny like to have that happen, but I feel you on engaging in work. And I also love your take on remaining critical because more and more in this world, in this moment, we have to learn how to think for ourselves. We have to discern what is made up maybe, or what is a very, very subjective opinion. Obviously everything is subjective, but I think it's very important for all of us to have our critical thinking skills intact. Even if we are reading magical works, even if we are reading mystical tomes, what do you think on that? What do you think about that? Oh gosh, I could do like 10 podcasts just on that. I feel that our critical thinking is trained out of us very early. It starts with Santa Claus. We're we're primed with Santa Claus and we move on to Jesus. I don't have a problem with Santa or Jesus, by the way. I just want to (laughs) say, I appreciate them. But then it creates, for example... I would say like the boomer generation was a very believing generation. If it's in a book, it must be true. If it's on the news, it must be true. And that was something that propagandists were able to take advantage of when they were introduced to the internet so late in their lives having, you know, if it's in the news, it must be true. So I think it's really important. And I think it's very bizarre to pair with being a witch. It's a very interesting (laughs) thing to try to unpack because you have a podcast called Moonbeaming. I just want to give it a shout out. But I noticed in the description for it, it says Moonbeaming is a show for the modern witch and magical critical thinker. That just stuck with me because I think about magical thinking and then magic with a K thinking Mm -hmm. and how complex this all is. 
Oh, my love, you could definitely, you could do like a whole season on this topic, you know, because I, I think it's like when we have magical thinking with a K, it is trusting in the intangible. It is trusting and welcoming in the mystery and the unseen and the imagination. And that's where innovation comes from. That's where miracles come from, as far as I'm concerned. You know, most witches who practice casting spells, and of course, there are many witches who identify as witches or brujas or shamans or wizards or spiritualists or, you know, whatever, whatever that is. Um, It's very broad. This is like a broad realm, but a lot, there are a lot of witches who don't actually cast spells, you know, that's not part of their practice. And that doesn't mean they're not a witch or anything like that. But my point is, I just wanted to say that I need to have that disclaimer. But if you are casting spells, you know, you see them unfold. I wouldn't, I always say I wouldn't, I wouldn't cast spells if they didn't work, you know, but there's so much mystery, so much surrender, so much trust. And to get into the mindset of, I think, being a magical practitioner, your thinking has to be open, expansive, aware. Your thinking has to be optimistic, incredulous, surrealist. You know, we're oftentimes interacting with unseen energies, deities, the cosmos, the elements, animal energies, animal familiars, all of these helpers, all of these beings that we aren't really taught to collaborate with or have sacred relationship with. So that's like magical with a K thinking. And then also like magical thinking I mean, I think magical thinking is cool too, because sometimes I hear it described as the ability to hold different, sometimes seeming oppositional thoughts in your mind or in your body without discord. And so, and also I think what you're referring to to in terms of magical thinking is like, drink this green juice and then you'll be cured. Or if, if you think, if you think nice thoughts 500 times a day and never say anything bad and never think anything wrong or bad, nothing bad or wrong will happen to you. And you're a good person and you'll be healed. And, 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 and is that what let's, why don't you clarify? Yeah, that is what I mean. Yeah. I mean, it's a term used in psychology, magical thinking. I mean, I think it's for our protection. Sometimes I know Joan Didion wrote that book, the year of magical thinking when her partner of so many years died and she went into denial. I Mm -hmm. feel like that's probably something that happens to us as humans to protect us from pain. Yep. But we are humans, so what do we do? This feels good. (laughs) How far can we take it? That's just kind of what we do. Actually, that makes me think of the law of attraction, which a lot of my magic is based in, and it is very uncool to say that these days for good reason, because so much of what is being called out now as spiritual bypassing, it really originates in that 
community, a lot of the language that's being unpacked and such like that. But I'm kind of going off here on a little, (laughs) on a little tangent, but there's just a lot of conversation coming up around these things. And you're a person Mm -hmm. that I see talking about it. So I actually would just prefer to bounce it back to you because I've talked about this here before and I'm really interested to get your take on it. Yes. Oh gosh. I have so much to say about this topic. I also want to say, I really do want to hear from you because I have a feeling that your praxis and your interpretation of the law of attraction as being a guiding force in your magical practice or in your spiritual practice is probably interlaced with critical thinking. I'm yes. Just, oh, I'm, for I'm, sure. I'm, yes. <laughs> so I, want, I do want to hear that from you, but like, you know, I mean, there's a couple of things I'm going to say. Oh, this could, this could be a book. This could be five podcast episodes. So for me, I am a research nerd. So I like to look and see the origin of where some of these things come from. And, you know, the original origin of the law of attraction is based from what I have gleaned from hermetic principles from, you know, very, very long time ago. They are complex. They are nuanced. There is more of them than just like attracts like. It's, this is like one in a chain of edicts that magical practitioners, priestesses, hierophants, priests, everyone in magical orders, philosophers, spiritual leaders were trying to figure out. And some of that was based on alchemy. Some of that was based on their experiments into science and so on and so forth, astronomy, astrology, et cetera. That's like the, that's like the root root and it's more complex and it requires a lot of discipline and it's not just think good thoughts and good things will happen. Mm-hmm. But when we skip ahead <laughs> several hundreds of years or maybe even thousands, when we get to people like Abraham Hicks, who had their start in Amway, being Amway salespeople, and who visited channelers and then sort of took the principles of Amway and their pyramid scheme capitalism, mixed it with channeling, started selling it, kind of flattened it out in some ways to promise people that as long as they were feeling good, that was all they needed to do. And that was, that was the big thing that they needed to do. I think that that is flat. I think it's just flattened out. I don't think that it's... People love authoritative kinds of teachings like do this, then that, take this pill, then that. You know, um, Like you said, we haven't been trained to think critically for ourselves. The problem... The problem with that thinking is the spiritual bypassing part. And also the problem with that thinking is denying the history of the so-called United States of America, denying different ability levels, class levels, uh, systems of oppression, all of these things. It's also like denying the fact that humans are complex creatures and we feel such a spectrum of emotions that in order to heal, in order to be in touch with our intuition or our purpose, in order to know if our boundaries are being crossed, we have to figure out how to acknowledge, notice, 
work with more uncomfortable feelings. And that does not mean that we're doing something wrong. That does not mean, I think like we have to change our relationship to uncomfortable feelings. I think we need to have a more nuanced and more complex vocabulary around that. And we also need to figure out more healing tools and ways to transmute that energy. All is that to say, it's very yes and because... Do I feel better <laughs> when I'm thinking of someone I love? Uh-huh. Do I, you know, feel better when I'm doing things I love? Sure do. Does that then rearrange my energy? Yep, yep it does. Does that then maybe make certain things more readily available to me? Is my state of mind more calm? Is my nervous system, you know, relaxed and able to make better decisions? Am I able to touch base with my intuition more? Uh-huh. And also, there have been times where my intuition comes from anger. There have been times where anger and rage have been in many ways very powerful forces for me to make incredibly blessed and beautiful change in my life. So it's very complicated. I think we have to think about the historical origins of some of these teachings. We don't have to throw them out completely. We don't have to say, you know, use binary thought and say this is bad and this is good. I just think it's important to throw all of the different aspects of what we're talking about on the table and then invite people to do their own work, their own research, their own practice, and see what resonates with them. Good Lord, woman, you can talk. I agree with all of that. That was amazing. I agree with all of that. I have found a lot of the techniques that I learned through different teachings that I learned through the law of attraction. They're very helpful to me. And so I keep what works and throw out what doesn't. I'm a bit of a cherry picker spiritually. Shadow work was a huge game changer for me. And I started kind of blending the two. Have you read Maja Dow's book, The Secret Source? No, I guess I should. She traces the law of attraction back hundreds of years through magnetism and all kinds of strange things, interesting things. And she's another LA witch you might really enjoy because she's a brainiac, much like yourself. You're reminding me so much of uh, Pam Grossman. You talk in this very intentional way <laughs> and just so much good stuff comes out. And I know she's, she's helping you with your book launch. Isn't she the host yeah. for a book launch that you're doing? Yeah, I adore Pam. You know, I think we're similar in the sense that we're both Jewish. We both come from the East Coast. I think we're both research nerds, you know, so I think we do have a similar perspective, you know, just based on the culture we grew up in and our interests and stuff. Mm. And I think um, she's like, I'm a Gemini moon. She's a Gemini rising there. We have this like kind of brainiac, like heady sort of energy. But um, I want to hear about what you were speaking about with the, you were, you're starting to say like there was tracing back of, you know, the complicated, the complicated origins, the fascinating origins of the law of attraction and the secret source. Do you want to, did you want to say anything else about that? It's just a fascinating read because it feels a bit like maybe she's debunking the whole thing as you're reading through it. But 
she doesn't really have that intention. You realize as you go through it, she's just sort of taking it apart and looking at it. I mean, like, this is where this came from. This is where that came from. This is how we got here. And ultimately she is a witch, a very intellectual witch, super interesting person. I highly recommend everybody look her up. Her lectures are awesome. She lectures, or she used to lecture at the Philosophical Research Society. She was the Mm -hmm. librarian there for years and has this kind of photographic memory for everything she's ever read ever. (laughs) So all of that is put into the book. But ultimately, I think it kind of comes with a warning at the end that is like, yeah, this stuff works. (laughs) Be careful what you wish for. And it's complicated and it's complex. And she talks a lot about the hermetic principles as you did and Yeah, I mean, I think for me, I talk a lot about this idea of alignment. And for me, what that boils down to is embodiment. And, you know, we're witches. So one thing that I think is really incredible, or one thing that I'm never not amazed by in myself, in clients, with friends, is the fact that we can effectively program and reprogram our energy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like a lot of times, if I forget, that's what I have to come back to is a lot of, for me at least, what witchcraft is, is transforming energy, being able to transform energy in a way that is useful or healing in a way that reminds me of the agency I do have, you know, in this world you know, our agency can be limited. It's certainly been limited in a lot of ways this year more than ever. And also I have agency over what I can embody. And I do believe that if we're talking about magic, as far as I'm concerned in my own practice, I'm talking about relationships and I'm talking about collaboration. So I'm thinking about all of this in preparation for our year next year, which is a Hierophant year. It's a number five. If we add up all the numbers in 2021, we get five. And for me, so I'm a tarot reader. So for me, as that archetype of the high priest of the Hierophant is about priming our vessel making space for our own divinity, making space for our own embodiment of the divine, and in doing so, acknowledging what we desire, acknowledging how we are translators and interpreters of the sacred, of our inspiration, of our values, so on and so forth. And so that's for me, like the correlation between the law of attraction is like, I cannot ask for anything or wish for anything unless I am wholeheartedly, completely ready and able to embody it. Oh my gosh, yes. I have to say, I ask for much less than I used to when I first got into magic because I've come to realize too that, well, first of all, you have to be able to receive it, which I embodiment is the ultimate in receiving to fully integrate it into you, who you are and receive it. And I have found, I've called many things in that I could not receive for a variety of reasons, but also I found this is not actually hard. Once you figure out what works for you in terms of manifesting, I want to ask you about hue manifesting because I love (laughs) that you coined that term, but what it is, is, Sometimes 
I don't know what's best. And I call in a whole lot of nonsense. And then I have to deal with that. That is something that I have found (laughs) that I've had to be more discerning in because I think I want a thing. And then the thing arrives and I'm like, why did I do that? It's the difference between being driven by ego, for example. I I love my ego. No, No shame on the ego. Ego is necessary. But if I'm coming from that place, Instead of intuition, spirit, a more holy, sacred place inside, I will call in some nonsense. And I've done it many, many times. I have as well. And also, like, I feel like, and I'd love to hear your take on this, in my personal experiences, I have found that spirit will give me what I need to check me like that or also to heal me. Spirit might bring in something that I asked for, something that might look really good, but is actually ends up being an invitation for me to do boundary work, to to do like value-based or ethics-based work, or to even acknowledge and figure out what my own capacity is like energetically or whatever else it is. I've had that experience as well. And like you, I, I have had to be like, whoa, or like I roll at myself because I'm like, wow, okay. I actually wasn't prepared for that. Or actually that wasn't really what I wanted. And I, sometimes I also feel, and I'm curious to hear what you think about this because I bet you have a great answer Sometimes I feel like I will ask for something, but what I will receive is something that matches what has not been quite healed for me or reconciled for me on a subconscious level. Mm -hmm. Has that ever happened to you? Yeah, that's how, you know, when I said when I got into shadow work, it was a game changer for me because... I've seen this emerge since in different places, but to me, in my experience, it was an original idea that I had, (laughs) that I've had seen many other people have also had this idea. So who knows where it originates, but I started feeling like, okay, let's take it back to the law of attraction. It's my subconscious and old patterns trauma, all this stuff is actually what I'm attracting. This is far more powerful than what I'm deliberately attracting with my conscious mind. And so I did not throw the law of attraction out. I just started looking at it in different ways and thinking about it in different ways and respecting this strange phenomenon of drawing to me things that seemed painful, but were healing opportunities if I allowed them in. If I do not allow them in, funny thing, they're very persistent. They're very generous this way. They'll just keep showing up until I deal with them. They don't go away. What's meant for you is not going anywhere. (laughs) So this is also why I'm not hard on people about spiritual bypass for the most part, because you're not really getting away with anything. The thing that you're trying to escape is still sitting there waiting for you. It's not going anywhere. Is this making sense? Oh, I mean, you're like, it's, it, the, this could come out of my, you know, this could come out of my mouth. To respond, I feel like 
our magic is most effective, our lives are most effective when the levels and layers of our various consciousness, unconscious, subconscious, conscious, some call it super conscious, higher self, whatever you want to call it, inner self, deep self, whatever, are aligned, you know, are, are actually truly aligned. And that is some work. That is a process. It takes a minute. It does not happen in one day or in one spell. I have found ritual work, trance work, spell casting to help me be- become more aligned, uh, help help some of my energy repattern and reprogram. I think for me, the issue that I find in spiritual bypassing is that I see... Do you mind if I just touch upon a couple things? No, of course. I'd love it. Where it causes harm, I think, is when people, in my own experience, this is primarily white people, will sort of take white supremacy or hierarchy thinkings and and they'll unconsciously they'll have this unconscious bias and they'll use it with spirit with spiritual bypassing in this way that they say well i'm better than you i'm more healed or you're mm-hmm. so negative or they'll conflate another thing that i see a lot of i'm talking about white practitioners will do is they'll if someone's talking about something, if someone's talking about reality, let's put it this way, you know, like police brutality, for instance. I mean, I could be here all day. I won't be, let's just say someone's talking about that. And then they'll say, um, you know, you're so negative, you know, and that's not someone being negative. That's someone looking at what's happening in the world, wanting to change it, wanting to fix it, or that someone wanting to, um, there's also this very American mentality, the pull yourself up by the bootstraps mentality. Mm-hmm. So, so if someone's like, well, I, it's hard for me to pay rent. How am I going to become a millionaire with my law of attraction spell or whatever? You know, there'll be this sort of like uh, conflation with American bootstrap mentality, uh, spiritual bypassing, saying like, well, you're just not doing the work enough or you're just not that's that's proof not never mind that you know you grew up in poverty never mind that you've been systemically oppressed for generations you know beyond any what anyone what any white person can imagine but no you're just not you know chanting enough or you just have to work harder you just have to you know deal with your negative vibes or whatever and i and i find that um dismissive Well, it's, it's harmful and it's, it's harmful and it's abusive and it's toxic. So it's when people, people sometimes use spiritual bypassing techniques in lieu of humility or in lieu of compassion. And I, and I find it, I find the ego and I love the ego, just like you. I love that you said that. So I'm not, no, no, I'm not, no hate on the ego. I love my ego. I, I, give my ego a lot of love, but one unhealthy aspect of the ego that hides out in spiritual bypassing is a fragile ego. So using like spiritual bypassing, like, well, you're not doing the work or, well, I have boundaries around this. I'm not going to discuss this or you need to go meditate or when people are like conflict isn't 
bad vibes, you know, or reality isn't bad vibes or someone's like calling you out or, or bringing something to your awareness isn't like bad vibes and they haven't done their work. It's, you know, it's very complicated and it's complex on a case by case basis, but I see this conflation. I see where the ego, the fragile ego, white supremacist thinking, our unconscious biases really easily can hide out under the guise of high vibe or spirituality. And we're humans. And being a human, being a spiritual person is an experience of complexity. And there are there's sorrow and grief right up there with joy and beauty and peace and all of the things. So um yeah, that's just what I kind of wanted to say to say to that. I think that I I've seen it more in my life in white practitioners. So I don't know where that arises. I haven't done my due diligence research. I haven't read books on that. It's something that I just noticed and wanted to put a pin on. Yeah. I grew up in a very strict Christian home, Mennonite brethren. So this is just my personal lens. Maybe I'm projecting onto this, but to me, I, I feel this is just repackaged Christianity and so it probably stems from that is what I would imagine. And tell me more. I'm not a Christian. I want to hear what, what's the oh. correlation. <laughs> well, a good example is the Ascension movement to always reach for a higher vibe. I mean, mm-hmm. that's what happens when, when you die, when you're a Christian, you ascend, you ascend to heaven. And, you know, if you believe in the end times, we're all going to ascend together before the world, you know, the world right now, we're in the end times <laughs> and you have to rise above it. You're going to rise above it by being a Christian. I think we have taken what are useful ideas like heaven and hell. Like maybe you make your own heaven and hell here on earth and turns them into like these literal facts. Right. And yes. so, like Satan and the devil, and which I also love. I have a very complicated relationship with these things, Sarah. <laughs> um, I mean, I love the devil too. Did you know that we're like, there were like um, a lot of devils were deities. And so Christian colonizers came in and made, there's a bunch of different devils, right? There's Beelzebub, there's Lucifer, there's Satan. Like there's a lot of them. And a lot of them were derived from these like badass deities. Yeah. So it's it's interesting. Ultimately, I think Satan probably represents physical manifestation and our physical drives and needs. And so there's this messaging that you get in Christianity that kind of rolls into the new age community of deny this earthly existence, deny these worldly urges, and you will Mm -hmm. be rewarded when you ascend, you will be rewarded Mm -hmm. in heaven. And that is really similar to me when I look at it. I can see like, oh, I grew up in that. And then I gravitated toward that. And <laughs> I sometimes joke like, don't throw baby Jesus out with the bathwater. So like I kept Jesus because I think Jesus was a cool witch. He's magic We, we love Jesus in this yeah. house. Yeah, okay. So a Jewish witch who loves Jesus. I would love <laughs> to hear more about. Are you, were you raised religiously or not? 
Yeah, uh, not as religious as some Jewish folks I know, more religious than other folks. You know, Judaism is a culture before it's a religion. And so there are a lot of Jews who aren't religious. I was brought up definitely with Jewish ethics. It's really funny, as you were speaking about Christianity and you were talking about denial, I love also that you you brought out that's what you're that's what we're talking about really with spiritual bypassing we're talking about levels and layers of delusion and denial you know that are that are pretty deep and the other thing i wanted to talk about denial before i talked a little bit about judaism or my experience with judaism you know there's a difference between denial and dreaming new worlds you know mm-hmm. dreaming new worlds wanting to go beyond the sometimes oppressive, oftentimes depressive, limited situations that humanity has put ourselves in, as far as I'm concerned. I think that because we haven't fostered um, a, a wider realm of care, we haven't fostered communities of care. We haven't embraced spirituality in a way that is like life affirming and life giving and that wants us to care for life instead of um, mistreat life. That's again, another podcast episode. I, I think that there's a difference between denial and delusion. And we're going back to magical thinking here, magic with a K and dreaming up new worlds and thinking about what's possible and putting ourselves in a mindset that is beautiful in mindsets that are expansive and mindsets that are peaceful and mindsets that afford us to imagine, dream up, innovate, create what is beyond. And, you know, like, I think sometimes that's what, when you were talking about ascension, I was like, well, I love meditating. (laughs) I love the visions that come in. I understand the pull towards that. Mm -hmm. And also that's different than denial. It's like you're, you're, it's that magical thinking I was talking about where we're holding a bunch of different things in our consciousness. Yes. This world can be really brutal. Yes. For whatever reason, humanity can be, you know, so evil to one another. And also humans are magical and also we're on a magical planet. And also I want to align myself with innovators, with people who are interested in dreaming up new ways of being and embodying that, right? Going back to the embodiment thing, not just saying certain things, like really doing it in their own lives. Like that's what I, that's what I'm really interested in doing. That's what I'm trying to do at least. So I think that it's like, we can go, we can, denial cuts us off from possibility in a way, you know? And so I think that we can both look at something, feel empathy for it or feel grief for certain situations and also be like, okay. And also I want to invite beauty into my life. I want to invite pleasure. I want to figure out solutions. I want to do things in a different way. You know, this isn't all there is. Like this isn't why we came onto the planet to just work all day, grab a paycheck, collapse in front of the TV at night. That's not what this is about, at least as far as I'm concerned. If that's what it's about for you, like I respect you and I bless you. That's not what it's about for me. So I think about that. And then as you were speaking about Christianity, it's really interesting because, you know, like there's a strong thread as in my experience of Judaism, 
that is very present based, that is very land based, that is very uh, reality based, and that is pretty pragmatic. You know, Jews are at least my Jewish teachings, whether they've come from a Kabbalistic rabbi or a reform congregation, a lot of the teachings are about how do we live well on earth? How do we care for each other in this lifetime, in this body? How do we honor our history and also stay traditional and also pay homage to the land, understand where we are? You know, it's traditionally a very seasonal and historical culture. Um, and it's very, and, and, and my experience of Judaism is that it's very concerned with ethics and values that doesn't mean every Jew, every Jewish person does that, but, uh, you know, like it, that's sort of where I think I have gotten this like awareness of responsibility that we have when we're placed in bodies. And I think it's where I have embedded in me both like a system of ethics and continuing to refine those ethics and work with those ethics as well as be of service because there's this like prime Kabbalistic tenant. I'm talking about Jewish Kabbalah, not like certain, like Kabbalah now has become its own realm, but like I've been learning from a, from a, I've learning Kabbalah in a, in a very Jewish based way. Um, there's this tenant that says, you know, we're here when we learn something, when we learn some kind of key or we learn some way of being that affords us pleasure or affords us abundance or affords us wisdom, we share that. That is why we receive that from source, from spirit. We're receiving it to share it. We're receiving it to embody it and to help other people if they choose, right? It's not about forcing anything down anyone's throat. So a lot of my like magical practice has been about, you know, trying to offer people other ways to work, other ways to see themselves, other ways to heal, uh, particular ways to do rituals and particular ways to develop connections to one's intuition, one's magic, the moon, their own lives, their, their authentic self, so on and so forth. So in a weird indirect way, I think that that was a influence from a mild Jewish upbringing. Mm. I love the word embodiment. I think what a lot of witches are doing now is we're moving between worlds of, you know, you talk about the beauty and dreams and imagining, and we want to ascend and go into trance-like states and have those experiences, but then you bring that back down with you and you bring it here to the here and now. I wanted to make a note. I think what I was saying earlier about humans take things too far, we take a good thing and then we just we turn it into an addiction, we abuse it. And a lot of the desire to be super high vibe is a trauma response. We, many of us, if we, if we experience trauma as children, we escape up into the upper chakras, we escape up into our heads and we live there and it's a really safe place that we can go to. It's dangerous to come down into our bodies and so I guess I started sort of picking on the Ascension Movement many years ago when I started realizing this about myself. 
and being like, whoa, we need to start a descension movement. We need to come down into our bodies. We're all like living up here like, woo. And it creates a lot of neglect, self-neglect, neglect of your home, your body, your money, the physical realities of this life that clearly we are meant to be engaged with because here we are. And so that's kind of where the Christianity and the new age and the witchy stuff all converged for me. And I started seeing links, if that makes sense. Oh yeah. I completely agree with you. I love that you brought in like trauma response and being in the body and somatics and nervous system. And as someone who has experienced trauma and who does a lot of work to stay in the body and stay grounded and not disassociate or go into freeze or whatever, I totally can see how there could be that correlation. I think what I'm seeing now as most of my interactions with people are online, to be honest, right, this year, mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm really seeing all of the trauma responses. Like there, there's, you know, there's just a lot of trauma, you know, there's a lot of trauma. There's a lot of trauma response. And I agree being in the body, dealing with what's in front of us, acknowledging reality, sinking into our body. That's all really, really important. If we're going to heal our trauma, heal the physical effects of our trauma and be more conscious, you know, in our magic, in our lives, in our relationships, all of this stuff. So yeah, absolutely. 100%. Sarah, I have so many bullet points of things I want to talk about. And we just talked for like an hour. What just happened? What just happened? I wanted to ask you about human manifestation. We haven't even talked about, let me shout out the 2021 many moons lunar calendar. Maybe you can give us a little blurb about that because happy new year is upon us. And I feel like we should mention that. So people that are interested can grab it for the new year. Yeah. For the last five years, I've been doing this project called many moons and the first three years of it were channeled workbooks for folks to work with each lunar phase in real time. And then it switched over to planners in 2018. So this is the third one. It is a combination. It's sort of like a hybrid. It's like a planner, like monthly overview, weekly overview, you know, all bank holidays, all like all of the holidays that religions, most religions follow, which holidays, you know, the wheel of the year, so on and so forth are all in there. So you can make your plans. It has plenty of space though for writing and journaling. And then each new moon and full moon has a suggested ritual either by myself or incredible contributors. They're herbalists, Reiki practitioners and masters, acupuncturists, astrologers, witches, artists, musicians, you know, people who just are very brilliant and I admire them. So, uh, and also like at the start of each month, there's like a suggested tarot poll for every week. There are little kind of affirmations or reminders based on the season that we are in, in the Northern hemisphere, the phase of the moon, and also the Hierophant year. I was thinking about the themes of the Hierophant when I was creating this and channeling this work. I was thinking about what we need to, I mean, really, it's so cool 
what we've been talking about, Joanna, because a lot of the things we've been talking about are going to be the themes of 2021. That is being able to be in our body enough so that we can receive transmissions from our intuition or source or spirit, a mix between the magical and the practical. How are we building better worlds? Okay, I've gotten this incredible download or I had this amazing utopic dream. Well, how do I create that? How do I create that with other people? What does that look like? What do I need? What do I need to be resource? What is my particular relationship with the divine, my work in the world? And how do I translate that? How am I a translator of both my life's path or purpose or some of the themes of that life's path and purpose and my own spirituality? How do I combine that with actual action, like actual reality-based steps I'm taking to create that? Who do I need to call in to hold, to hold my hand doing that? You know, what, who are my teachers? How am I a teacher? All of these things are going to be at the forefront of so many of our minds and we're going to be doing all of this work together. So that's what I was envisioning when I created it this year. And the contribute the contributors, um, all kinds of different rituals, everything from flower essences to vocal toning to, you know, good old fashioned spells to journaling prompts, you know, really beautiful. So uh, you can pick that up from my store. Uh, Supplies are limited. We have a benefit edition every year when it sells out where we donate the proceeds. So well, one way or another, you'll be able to have it until March, but I'm really thrilled about it. I think more than ever, folks are turning to spirituality. And I think it's really important. I think it's important that we do so. And I think it's important that we do that in authentic ways that are not causing more harm and that are authentic to either our ancestry or our ethics or our value system. So I see a lot more folks turning in these directions and I am like, I'm here for it, you know? Okay, so you just perfectly demonstrated what I said at the top of the show about how you are a badass biz witch because everything you do is so gorgeous. This is a planner that is beautiful. It's aesthetically gorgeous. But then there's all this depth. (laughs) Just like so much depth. And that's actually something that... I see in the publishing industry, some certain publishers are cranking out a lot of gorgeous, but sort of surfacey kind of witchy books. They don't listen, really girl, go into you, depth. <laughs> listen, listen to me. You know, as well as I do, not to throw shade on anyone or anything, the world really does not need another Witch 101 book. You unless, really don't. I mean, unless you have something so original to offer. And I, or, guess, we, I guess we all do, but I'm ready to go deeper with you, Sarah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to be shady. You know, like, I don't think the world needs, at least for a few years, another Witch 101 book from a white practitioner. I would love to read more books from black practitioners, from brown practitioners, from indigenous practitioners, you know, from other perspectives. Like I would love to hear about that. You know, I would love to read more books from scholars. Again, I'm not casting 
any, I'm not, I don't want to sound rude. There's just, I hear what you're saying. And I, what I hear you saying is that there's a lot of information being regurgitated or the same kind of information. And there are also a lot of really incredible advanced practice practitioners who are sharing incredible work like Aiden Wachter was one person who just came to mind as I was thinking. And Teresa Reed has put out a bunch of great books on the tarot and astrology, like seasoned practitioners who have a lot of knowledge or who have different things to share. So I don't want anyone listening, like getting really upset and, and, and throwing me hate mail. But I do think that I know that we're really ready to go deeper, you know, like we're really ready, we're ready for it. And I want to hear other points of view and I want to, um, yeah, I want to just, the student in me just wants to learn more from different perspectives. Yeah. Let's also talk about the moon book really quick. I'm going to let you go here, but I have this book. It's so pretty. Lunar magic to change your life. Thank you. And again, like it's aesthetically gorgeous, but there's so much good stuff in this book. It's really thought-provoking. It's different. It's about working with the moon, which some people may say, well, I've already read that book. No, you haven't because you haven't read this one. It's different. What, what approach did you take when you were writing this book? You know, this is a compilation of about 13 years of my life. So I've I started working with the moon in my own way about that long ago, if not longer, in 2012, after about five years of working pretty uniquely, let's just say, uh, and, and intensely, let's just say, with lunations, I started teaching about this in person. And then in 2015, I started writing books about it. So I wrote self, I wrote six self-published books in three years about this that sold like, we're coming up on the almost 80,000 copies and for like a self-published, I'm like a self-published author. So for that, that's, I'm really proud of that. Mm-hmm. So I did that. And then I started teaching classes on online to hundreds of people about this and it is effective and it works. And if you do the work, it will work for you, which I mean, that's like many 12 step programs say that, you know, many people say that, but it's really, really true. And the way that I work with the moon is a bit different. It is born out of my own explorations with lunar magic, which is about working with all of the phases of the moon holistically in mind, body, spirit, through various levels of our consciousness, through practical action steps, and also through energetic reprogramming, basically in a nutshell. And so the book takes you through, you know, everything from just like, what is the moon? Like, what is it literally? Like in case you don't know, like I I talk about that. I talk about magic in the moon and witchcraft and how that's been very much connected for thousands of years. I do something that other books don't do uh, about the moon, which is that I go into depth for each lunar phase because I really also see the lunar phases often as archetypes. They are often reflections of where we are on our own life, death, void, 
rebirth process because we circle through those phases in our lives, you know, many times before our body dies. So I really focus on each phase. I talk about the energies of that phase, how you can work with that phase practically, magically, metaphorically. And then I show examples from my own client's life, my own life, and how we can work in this way, which is about really transformation from the inside out, which is about really uncovering more and more of who we are, what our unique gifts are, what we have to share with the world, how we can connect to our intuition and our magic in order to live a life that is meaningful, embodied, and beautiful. Mm-hmm. I like that you framed it in the book as you're talking about tarot cards and how tarot is a great complement to the moon because they both correspond to the cycles of evolution, which I think you just explained. Our, our evolution. Yeah. And we're like, we all have our own unique healing path. Like my healing path looks different than your healing path does. Uh, There are also similarities there as well, because we're, you know, we're humans here um, living on this planet, doing the best we can. And also like cycles of evolution can be a cycle of evolution could be writing a book. Like this book for me was a cycle of evolution. You know, I went through all of the phases of the moon and now I'm done with it. And I'm sort of in this dark moon phase where I'm in the liminal. I don't really know what's next. I think any creative person can relate to this. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty tired. I don't really know what's next. I'm not the same person that I was when I started writing this book. And Soon, once the book is out into the world, I will start sowing seeds of different kinds of work and I'll be more in a new moon phase. And then, you know, I'll be ready to be transformed and grow and learn and change and reflect and embody again. And that might take two years. It might take 20 years. Who knows? You know, because magic is time, like there's not really a time frame on our cycles of growth and our evolution for one person, one particular cycle of growth and evolution could be for a year. It could be around a project. It could be around a relationship. And there's all these like little fractals really where we're growing and they're all kind of connected around larger themes, I think of healing um, and of becoming who we really are, I believe, and growth and change and all of these things. So I think the moon is this perfect reflection that we can work with, this this perfect energy that we can tap into in order to uncover and reflect parts of ourselves back to us in order to love them more. Mm. I love that. Can you tell people that are listening on the go and they're not looking at their device how to find you? Like what is your URL? Yeah, my store is modernwomenprojects.com. That's the name of my business. Modernwomenprojects.com. And that's where you can get the planner if we'll if we still have them or you can just google, you know, you can do some googling. And then the book itself, the website for that is themoonbook.com. Pretty you easy. You got the moonbook? I found I'm amazed it. that that URL was available, themoonbook.com. It, it was expensive, dude. <laughs> I bet it was. I bet it was. 
And also like, this is such a silly aside, but it also got me thinking, like I started, I didn't end up buying any other ones, but I was like, I should come. I need to like Google snappy URLs and just buy them. Like, you know, change your life now or like, you know, people do. That's a whole business. I know. Then I found out my friend told me, she was like, don't, you don't need to do all that. But it just was funny. I was like, wow, this was so expensive. It was like a hard URL to to come up with. So I started like, yeah. I spent like an afternoon doing that. I was like, no, I'm not doing this. Like, but yeah, yeah it's yeah. So the moonbook.com. And then the only other thing I have a podcast called moonbeaming. You can Google me and then I'm on Instagram. Uh, it's a joke of my name. My last name is Gottesteiner. So my handle is G-O-T-T-E-S-S-S, Gottes. And mm-hmm. that's where y'all can find me. I'm going to link to all of that, by the way. This was so fun. I feel like we could talk forever. Oh my um, gosh. I'm so disappointed in time right now. I'm it's just okay. like, how did this happen? I we don't transcended. understand. <laughs> I, we transcended time. We ascended. We descended. We, we did all the ascending. <laughs> we did all the ascending together. And I'll have to have you on my pod in 2021 because you're just such a delight. It's so great to chat with you. You're so smart. You're so brilliant. You're so wise. You have such great energy. It's been such a joy. Oh my gosh, right back at you, lady. Can can I ask you one more question before I let you go? You can ask me anything. Okay. One tip for creating the kick-ass life of your dreams. Maybe you want to tie this into humanifestation because I opened that loop and I did not close it. I talk about that in my book. Humanifestation, get the moon book, lunar magic to change your life. You know, this sounds so boring, but I'm just, I've been thinking a lot about this. So this is, so just bear with me, okay? This is just what I've been thinking about right now. In order to create the life of your dreams, I've been thinking about this. Here's just one tip. You really do, this sounds so corny, but it's true. You really do have to know who you are, not who you are on a surface level, not what you think you want, but like you really have to know how you would like to spend the majority of your days, what lights you up the most, not what society tells you, not what so-and-so, your family or your career coach or whoever or your friend group, you know, makes you think you want. You have to get really clear around what that is for you. You have to be brave enough to invest in doing that more and more and focusing on that more and more. And you have to also understand that that will change and you have to let yourself change and grow, even though it feels really uncomfortable. So I think that's kind of what I got for you right now on that. It's perfect. Thank you so much. So how awesome was that? So fun, fun, extremely fun. My kind of fun nerd fun. (laughs) Good conversation. And as promised, I'm going to read from her book, The Moon Book, Lunar Magic to Change Your Life. There's a section called The Moon and Humanifestation, where she explains why she likes the term humanifestation. I thought you all might enjoy this. So I'm going to read this to you and then we will call it a wrap. I just realized That's my new microphone. You can hear me messing with this book. 
it's a real paper book in my hand and the microphone is picking up that sound. <laughs> I'm going to leave it in because I'm very proud to have a microphone. Let me tell you, a new microphone, any new microphone would probably be an improvement on my old microphone. So I'm enjoying this very much. Hopefully you can hear the difference. I think the sound is a bit warmer and the best part is it doesn't cut out when I'm talking or make little extra sounds that I can't figure out where they're coming from. Come to find out they were coming from my old microphone. So here we are. Listen to the paper, a real paper book in my hands. Okay. The moon and humanifestation. Sometimes in teaching and throughout the book, I use the term humanifestation as a play on the oft-used word manifestation. I like to use it to center all humans and to differentiate it from stereotypical New Age ideas around manifestation. The word manifestation also makes me think of manifest destiny, which is the opposite of the process I share. I also like using the terms co-creation and creation. Lunar humanifestation posits that resting, trusting our intuition, and letting help in is part of the process. Learning to float is as important as surrendering, is as important as working incredibly hard, is as important as calling in abundance, is as important as being generous, is as important as learning to love oneself. Listening can be as important as doing. All of these activities that guide us toward a rhythmic and holistic life exist within the spectrum of humanifestation. <laughs> she must be a writer. <laughs> that is very good. I enjoyed this. Hope you did too. Until we meet again, much love, peace. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.